Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always. Tuning in to the Sports Blog New York Podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Google Play, and now on Spotify. Joining me on this NBA jam-packed episode, as always, my co-host, John Lucas Duffy. What's up, dog? What up, what up, PD? So much to unpack. The NBA Finals with winners and losers everywhere, sadness, triumph, so many storylines. And on top of it, a trade of the decade, perhaps. If it goes well, could bring one of the NBA marquee franchises back to fame or continue their reckless abandon. With Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, Lonzo Ball, Ingram, Hart, and picks to the Pelicans. Duff, this NBA thing has been a whirlwind, huh? Never stops, man. Season never stops. Poor Zach Lowe. Poor Zach Lowe, as you'll hear in the episode, man. I felt bad for Zach. Our guy just wanted a good, low-key Father's Day, and then boom, Saturday, Anthony Davis to the Lakers. It was wild. Is this just a taste of what's to come this NBA offseason, Duff? Two holidays that are never safe, Father's Day and Fourth of July. And the Fourth of July this year may be crazier than any it's not going to be just Gordon Hayward releasing a little Players Tribune note. It's going to be Kawhi, Durant, Clay, Kemba, Jimmy, Toby, Bobby, the whole nine. It's going to be everybody. It's going to be absolutely Kyrie, nuts. Butler. Kyrie. I didn't even uh, – like I, I just named all these guys and I forget Kyrie. It's crazy. Me and Duff were here on the SBNY podcast talking about all of that and more. The NBA draft is just a couple days away with a full NBA draft podcast coming the day of on Thursday morning. We're going to have that. And also, quick shout out before I forget, our friends at Team Left Jab are kind enough to continue to put our podcast on their feed to uh, highlight some more New York sports, national sports, and of course we do a ton of NBA here on the SBNY podcast. So check out the Team Left Jab Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, on Stitcher, on iTunes, everywhere you listen to podcasts. Team Left Jab, shout out to them as well. But Duff, I think it's time. The Sports Blog New York Podcast. Stay tuned. Block New York Podcast, Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy coming at you talking all things NBA because there's so much to talk about. John Lucas Duffy joining me. I mean, the things to unpack today, Duff. The things to unpack. The finals seems like a season ago. Anthony Davis traded. What the hell's going on out here? It's getting weird. This is classic NBA offseason. I mean, you know what's funny? I don't know what this says about me. Or what this says about the NBA, or or who knows what it says. But when that Anthony Davis trade broke, one of the first things I thought about was how Zach Lowe's Father's Day was going to be ruined. I actually thought the, the same exact thing. <laughs> I was like, I, I was out to dinner. It was my birthday weekend. I, like, I got home, and I get a text from my friend, uh, Greg, and he was like, wow, the Lakers. I was like, 
what what the fuck just happened what what happened and then like i'm trying to like scour the internet i get a tweet sent from me from my brother and it's like all the trade details i text him back i'm like i'm never going to dinner again (laughs) never leaving this house again wait um am i that bad of a friend because you didn't know it was my birthday i did not know it was your birthday it's not on facebook so i don't blame you also i can i say that it, it was an excuse that it was my brother's wedding this weekend yeah, go ahead. All right. That, that doesn't feel genuine at all. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say that that's a fair excuse because that's what I'm saying. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Happy, <laughs> happy birthday, though. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> now this whole thing feels disingenuous. Hey, we maybe put on this podcast. We can probably act like friends, like we know each other. We go way back, which is all true. And apparently I'm a bad person, though. Damn. I know. I just roped you into this podcast tonight just to just to fuck with you. You would think that, you know, on this conversation at pre-pod when we're hanging out, shooting it, uh, just chit-chatting about life and work and who knows what, you may mention that you uh, had a birthday this weekend. But no, you, you waited for the podcast to start. One minute in, you throw the knife in my back when I least expect it. So maybe you're actually the bad friend. Well, here's the thing. I'm one of those people that doesn't like make a big deal of their birthday or really like worry about it. Like on my actual birthday was Sunday. I was just by myself all day with my dog and I just hung out with her and that was totally fine with me. But yeah, it's all it's all good. Seriously, don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to sleep tonight, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have so much to talk about in regards to the NBA and we have the NBA draft on Thursday. We're going to get into it just by the nature of some of the topics we have to talk about with this Anthony Davis trade, um, with some of the stuff with the teams that are involved and like adjacent, kind of like the Knicks and the Celtics who were rumored to be in the trade talks, who weren't in the trade talks, who knows what. And then obviously we have the NBA Finals that just happened. But we're not going to go super deep in the NBA draft because we have another episode of the SBNY podcast coming later in the week where we will be talking a lot of draft stuff. So stay tuned for that. But some some of it will get mentioned here because there are so many moving parts in regards to this Anthony Davis, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram trade. I think it's almost not fair, Duff. What do you think about this before you get into the finals quick? Calling it the Anthony Davis trade, a little bit uh, not fair to the young guns of this trade. I mean, they, they, there's some high-profile youngins right there, no? It's so fair. It's so fair I need you to take a step back. <laughs> And I need you to crawl out of Lonzo Ball's asshole Whoa. for just five seconds. Oh my gosh! And just this is the Anthony Davis trade. This okay. is the this, like he's the superstar in this trade. It's the Anthony Davis trade. Wow! First you stab me in the back about what the break. <laughs> now you're telling first I blindside you. Now you're now you blindsided me again with this Lonzo Ball yeah. thing. Oh my god! I mean, I'm a fan of the guy, but yeah, now you're. Yeah, right. no, I am too. I am too. It's Sorry. actually, it's a actually harsh. no. It's pretty fair. It's fair. This is the Anthony Davis trade, and there's no other way to describe it. It's the Anthony yeah. Davis trade. They're not, in, in, they're not anything yet. This is more. This is almost more the Lavar Ball trade than the Lonzo Ball trade. Fair enough. This is the Anthony Davis trade in which uh, Lonzo Ball was involved. Yes, and it's it's crazy. Um, but before we get into all that stuff. Because the Lakers, how now Vegas now puts them as the odds on favorite to come out of the West, which is just a crazy overreaction because they don't have a team. There's no, yeah, you know, t- how many no players teammates. they have in their roster right now. Yeah, like if they bring back Rondo and Stevenson, like are we really going to count on these guys to make it to the finals? Like, I'm not sure yet. We're going to get you know, there. Do you know how many players they actually have under contract I think next season? I think currently six. Is that right? I think it's five. Is it five? I know. So it's LeBron Davis. Oh. Kuzma, uh, mm-hmm. Mo Wagner, mm-hmm. Isaac Bonga. 
I have no idea who that guy is. I've never heard of him before in my life. He's like a late round pick, young nineteen year old who's really tall but a point guard. Boom. That's what you only need. To I know. watch NBA basketball every single day <laughs> while it's while it's on like TV in the regular season. I have no idea who that guy is. I mean, he doesn't. That's play. That's their roster right now. He doesn't play. That's your NBA Finals favorites. Yeah, which is it's just hilarious. Um, but we're gonna get into that, and we're gonna get into who the Lakers need to go after some of these marquee free agents, who's even available for the Lakers, uh, how great or not great is this Pelican situation after this trade. We're going to break that all down. But it would just be rude for us to come on this podcast for the first time in a week and a half and not talk about the NBA Finals that just happened. I know it may be old news for you, uh, listener. By now it's Tuesday, only four days later. But like I said, it feels like a long time since the finals ended. But there's stuff to talk about that's pretty interesting here. Maybe you'll hear something that you didn't think of over the past couple days. So, um, Duff, I'll I'll open the floor to you first. The Raptors obviously win the finals. There was some air sucked out of this finals due to the injuries of Clay Thompson and, of course, Kevin Durant, especially in that last game when Clay had fought back from a hammy, Kevin Durant had fought back from a calf, so we think, and then they both go down, and it's just brutal. Um, what, what were your, what was your, where was your energy? Like, where, what was your vibe? What was the grandness of this finals from your perspective? This was a really, really weird finals to watch, just because a there was a Canadian team in it, which no shots at Canada, but that's just never happened before. Uh, B. Kawhi, like all of a sudden makes it back. Like the Warriors being in it is not very surprising, but how they got there was a little surprising. Like essentially they just run through the Western conference finals without Kevin Durant. Three of those games are closer than people remember, but they swept it. So that's what it is. And then they have like a real test against a real team and a real superstar with Kawhi Leonard, who's already been a finals MVP and a winner in a finals that included, uh, Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Tony Parker, Romano Ginobili, and he, like Kawhi Leonard, who was, I think, 22 at the time, was the finals MVP in that. So this is his first time back since then. That was, everything that was really surprising and exciting was uh, was on the Raptor side of it. You know, we know the Warriors, we've seen what they are, but then as the finals go on, my attention starts to shift away from the Raptors and towards the Warriors because it was like, Okay, the rap like once it got to like two one and then three one, it was clear like okay, the Raptors are basically going to win this series. They're playing really well. Everyone on the team is clicking on all cylinders. It seemed like everyone had a role. They knew what to do. But the Warriors, it's like this team is a little bit in shambles right now because one person isn't fully healthy. Possibly two with Clay's hamstring. And then I was just like, okay, the Warriors are in some serious trouble. Are they going to implode? What's going to and essentially they do just not due to lack of will or mental toughness. It was just physical strain on Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson. Ter- Kevin obviously tearing his Achilles, Clay tearing his ACL, and it was just by the end of the finals, I was I was like exhausted. I, yeah. I felt pretty much devastated by the result. Not that the Raptors won, good you know, good for Toronto, all that. But because of the depletion of the Warriors' health throughout the series, it was really devastating to see because 
when when KD goes down with that with the calf injury against the Rockets, the thing I was saying to like all my friends and family was, I hope it's not his Achilles. I just don't want it to be his Achilles. You know, this finals, whatever. I think they got a shot without him. I don't want him to tear his Achilles because then we miss him for an entire year and maybe the rest of his career. No one's really ever bounced back from this. That's pretty much where I landed at the end was emotionally exhausted. Right. And I know it's not as big a deal, but even Kevon Looney, who was their starting center, who proved in a couple series that he was meaningful, he wasn't healthy either. Um, but on top of that, there's so much to unpack here, and I want to go back. I think it's important to go back, right? A lot of people brought up the 2015 finals because the Warriors in that uh, finals were the beneficiaries of injuries when Kyrie Irving was hurt, Kevin Love was hurt, and it was LeBron and a bunch of nobodies or a bunch of J.R. Smiths and Shumperts running around really just not up to par with this young, feisty, energetic Warriors team that was bursting onto the scene. But let's, How dare you slander Matthew Delvadova like <laughs> Honestly, though, he was he was one of their best players in that series for the Cavs. Which Almost is, killed himself to try and win that series. <laughs> needed, People forget that. He needed an IV, right? Like, that's crazy. He, they rushed him to the hospital. Unbelievable. But let's go back, right? So the Warriors win that first finals. Whether it be because of injuries or not, who knows? It was it was exciting. It was their first one. They're brand new. Then they come out, seventy wins, seventy three wins. That's amazing. Now they're starting to become villains in front of our faces. Steph Curry, a lovable underdog from a small college, is starting to become a villain in front of our face. Clay Thompson, everybody pretty much loves him, but he's part of this machine who plays next to Draymond Green. And even though Clay's likable, Draymond isn't all the time. And now they're winning so much, people are sick of it. And every season. The non-NBA fans or the more, you know, playoff NBA fans, right? They're all saying, ah, it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs, Warriors and the Cavs, Warriors and the Cavs. Not even worth watching. This this is stupid. Like, all this stuff that you know what I'm talking about. As I'm saying it, you're probably remembering all of your friends out there or all of your people you listen to on the radio. You know, the NBA, there's no parity. It's just the Warriors. It's just the Cavs. And one thing that I said every single year as we approach the finals and Duff, you were on this podcast talking about it with me. Frank was on the podcast with me. A lot of people listening, if you were there a year ago, two years ago, hopefully you were listening as well. These dynasties don't last forever. And it was something that I've been saying for three years now. You never know exactly how it's going to end. And it's almost never going to end pretty. And this Warriors team is the perfect example of a team at its peak powers, thinking even if they uh, sleep through the regular season, they're going to walk into the playoffs and be unstoppable. But these things don't end pretty. We knew Kevin Durant might be on his way out anyway. And then he gets hurt. A guy who had a sneaky, such an amazing season and got almost no credit for it gets hurt. Klay Thompson, an absolute warrior, guy who's missed almost no time, gets hurt. And the guy who's been hurt the most throughout this dynasty years in Steph Curry is the only one healthy. It's really strange. And I find it so important to kind of think back when you just took it for granted, oh, Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Cavs. Now this might be over. If the Warriors never made a finals again, it wouldn't really be that shocking to anybody. And it gets so lost, and you forget it, and you take it for granted. But those years, especially the middle two years, uh, the one the Cavs obviously won, and the one the first Durant year, were incredible. And we saw the two best teams with the two best players at the peak of their powers in the biggest moments of basketball, and we kind of got stripped from that this year. And it was it was it was sad. It was sad. As happy as I was for Kawhi and the Raptors. Yeah, I, I've felt really, really devastated about it. But let's 
let's kind of turn the page here. Let's go on to the Raptors. What an amazing thing for Toronto and the country of Canada. Like going into to work today, people were still asking me about the finals and what does this mean? Like, does it suck that we lost, you know, the trophy to Canada? I don't really think any NBA fans felt that way at all. Like I, I didn't, did you feel that way, Pete? No, not at all. All right. One thing so, I did wait real quick. I'm um, sorry. One thing I did think though, in regards to Canada, it was very annoying as somebody who works in the television industry, who understands ratings and impressions and all that stuff pretty well. Um, all these people who are on Twitter, like, Oh, the NBA finals are down, whatever. Like, Maybe they are missing LeBron, or this this series sucks. Like the Raptors aren't interesting. No, the hometown of one of the finals teams does not count in the ratings and impressions. Like even if that was Milwaukee, which is not a huge market, it's like uh, an average big market in America compared to like some really small ones. You know what I mean? Like even Milwaukee, or even uh, like Orlando. Milwaukee's probably on par with like Cleveland, right? When yeah, yeah, maybe... it's, it's probably pretty close in the in the DMA rankings, right? Even having that and having those numbers involved, like, would boost the number a, a decent amount. So, like, think about all the people in Canada watching this. If that counted in our Nielsen American rating systems, like, the numbers would be good. And they were still decent, honestly, without it. They were still pretty decent without it. Um, so that kind of annoyed me in regards to the Canada stuff. But other than that, go on. No, that's just more to the point. Like, the thing I find exciting about this is the whole like a whole new generation of basketball fans in in Canada are going to sprout up from this like not like starting next season everyone's going to be excited about the raptors and they'll say well like this wasn't our sport and we didn't think we could do it but like now now we're involved now we know what it is to win we know what it means to have a championship in in basketball it's not it doesn't have to just be hockey or anything else like we we can compete on different, like baseball, they've won world series hockey. They win Stanley cups. Obviously basketball has always kind of been the redheaded stepchild. Now they've arrived and this can be a really fun thing to have basketball kind of explode in Canada. As we've seen even recently with players like RJ Barrett, uh, Anthony Bennett, he was a number one pick, even though he sucked, but it happened. Andrew Wiggins, and Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also the next not one. great, so, like, but yeah. Yeah, it's also not great, but whatever. Like two number one picks and a number one high school recruit have been from the country of Canada in the past. What what's it been like five or six years? Yeah, I say six. Right, I think Ben was six, thirteen. Yeah, six years. I think that was the thirteen draft mm -hmm. off the top of my head. Um, so it was already expanding. Now I think it's going to explode, and basketball has become an increasingly international game, which I'm all for best players around the world, whatever's going to boost the talent. Look at players like Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton, who's from the Bahamas. Like, there's players all over the world, and the more we find, the better. Like, I think that's going to be a really, really cool factor to come out of this finals that people, are, like, haven't really talked about, I don't think. Yeah, no, it's actually really cool, and the Raptors are an international team in and of itself. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is obviously American. He's from California, but think about everybody else who's important on the team outside of Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet, everybody else pretty much that is that mattered. Uh, and Danny Green, he's a New York guy. Marcus Gasol, mm -hmm. Spanish. Uh, Serge Ibaka, 
He's from like he's Congo. from Congo, but then also grew up in in Europe. Uh, spicy P. Spanish national team. Pascal Siakam. He's from Africa as well. Cameroon. Is Cameroon like first Cameroonian? I was my brother Frank. For people who don't know this, my brother Frank, who came from Cameroon to America to play basketball in in high school at a New Jersey prep school. Um, He's from Cameroon, and like anytime Pascal Siakam was playing well, I just kept sending him Cameroonian flags, and he was getting <laughs> he was getting so hyped up about it. I was like, "Has a Cameroonian player ever won the finals? Like this is gonna be amazing." Yeah, he's like, "No, no, this is so awesome." And they actually knew each other in uh, in Cameroon. Like they played hit Pascal Siakam. They always talk about his brothers play basketball, whatever. Right. He his older brother was my brother's age, and Pascal's like my age. So like running around pascal was like this little you know little kid trying to play with them and all that stuff and then uh he like so he knew he was they they weren't like super tight but that's right. like a kind of weird six degrees of separation between me and pascal siakam so that's pretty cool just want to brag about that that's pretty that's actually a pretty cool brag good stuff uh but no it's 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 super cool and it's exciting and it stinks that it kind of gets underplayed because of all this warriors drama and it's just something that happens especially when you have a team like the warriors like i described before who are a almost decade long dynasty not decade but half decade for sure obviously they made five straight finals they're a half decade long dynasty and their turmoil and their demise took away from the raptors victory but it's nothing to to laugh at nothing to sneeze at because to win an nba finals i don't care what happens it's impressive and we know just thinking about what the Raptors went through. Lose game one to the Magic. Seven games with the Sixers. Goes down to a buzzer beater in game seven that we all remember. And then losing the first two games to the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Then sweeping them. I think we, we've come across the title of this sweep, right? We call it the douche sweep, where you're, you you lose the first two and then you just win four straight. Like That's super impressive. It was super awesome. And Kawhi Leonard, I don't know if you remember, Duff, but our finals preview. I mean, not a finals preview. <clears throat> excuse me, our playoff preview, I said I would really love to see Kawhi Leonard come out in the Eastern Conference and just show them, yo, I am here, and I am the best player here. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, we are now talking about Kawhi Leonard as possibly the best player on the planet, as uh, a Pantheon-type athlete, a guy who doesn't have any regular season MVPs, but probably could if he had the... um, the volume of games in, in each of his last couple seasons, which we got stripped away from. But now this guy is a playoff legend. He's a two-time final MVP. He's with Kareem and LeBron as only two other guys to win finals MVPs on two different teams. So to the Raptors. And the only one to do it in, in both conferences. Right. So to the Raptors, to Kawhi Leonard, like hats off. I feel bad that some of it gets taken away, but I know in Toronto and I know in Canada – they're not caring about that too much, and they are extremely prideful. It was very cool to see that part of it. Yeah, you can only beat the team that's in front of you, and that's exactly what they did. You talked about it before. That's what the Warriors did in 2015. And I still contest that if the Cavs were healthy with Kevin Love and, and Kyrie Irving, they'd probably win that series. Like, well, at least it's much closer, you know? At least, it's yeah. It's at least the Game 7, like, and I and I think they'll probably win that series unless there was some type of collapse which right. you know that's the thing though like when yeah, you play pl- these playing that hypothetical play game is tough hypothetical game you don't it could go any which way you have no idea right so let's talk Good about for the raptors though like really you're right it was a little devastating for the warriors like it kind of put a bad taste in your mouth but 
it's just kind of what it is. And the, and the Raptors took care of business and did exactly what they needed to do. So let me ask you this so we could finish up this final stuff and get to this Anthony Davis trade, which is obviously so interesting and such a shift for the NBA right now. Let me, let me just pose this question to you. The Warriors and the Raptors, right? The fear of Kevin Durant leaving slash being injured. Klay Thompson being injured and a free agent. Draymond Green being one year away from, I'm sure he wants a max contract. And then you have the Raptors, on the other hand. Kawhi Leonard may or may not leave. Masai Ujiri, rumored to possibly leave. If you were looking at these two teams, who are you betting on, if you were a betting man, to be back in that contention spot in their respective conferences? Is it the Raptors, back with Kawhi, or maybe with some new pieces, another trade, who the hell knows what they're going to do? Or is it the Warriors with Steph Curry and banged up goods and Klay Thompson, Durant, or whatever happens there? Uh, I think it's the Raptors just because all of next, like just logically Kevin Durant's not going to play. So he's out, whether he leaves or opts in, he's not playing. And then Clay Thompson is not going to play for the majority of the season. Maybe he gets back after the all-star break next year, like best case scenario. And he's like 75, 80% of what he was, which still isn't enough to make it through the West. Now that, uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the same team and the Raptors or I'm sorry, the Rockets still have James Harden and, and Chris Paul, like just Steph Draymond and like in 75, 80% Clay Thompson can't beat the Rockets. I don't think so. I think just logically you need the Raptors to resign Kawhi Leonard and he doesn't get injured and they're right back in contention. Right. And it's them. And the I don't Bucks understand right why none of these stars in the, in the West don't move East. Yeah. It really blows my mind for real. And it's not like they can all go to LA, right? Like everyone always talks about LA and they talk about New York. Every time a free agent's available, those two uh, towns get brought up. Well, why, why not move East? Cause right now it's the Sixers. It's the Bucks. It's the Celtics in some turmoil and it's Kawhi Leonard if he stays there. Right. So if you move East, if you're, if you're like Dame Lillard and you could find a spot in the East, and obviously he doesn't want to do this, he wants to, to stay true to Portland, but if he can find a spot in the Eastern Conference, isn't his path to a finals a little bit easier? So it's very interesting. I, I think I'm I'm torn here because it's really, there's a one-piece um, thread that, the Raptors are hanging on, right? Like, if Kawhi stays, they're in contention. For the Warriors, there's a lot of moving pieces, right? So, if they don't sign Kevin Durant, but they do sign Clay Thompson, their cap is already going to be tight because they know that Draymond's a year away from an extension. And do they keep him moving forward? Do they look to revamp? Are they going to trade somebody? Like, their options are pretty tough. They don't have a lot of options. But is Steph Curry so good? Is Clay Thompson back from an ACL, which is becoming a more normal injury nowadays? Is he going to be able to get back to this Clay Thompson level? Because he was, we need to say this too, he was so incredibly awesome before going down in that game six. Like he was unbelievable. Uh, he, I was a Claytheist, man, watching that game. I yeah, was like, this dude, big time Claytheist. This dude is going off. He's cold blooded. He's playing defense. He's hitting crazy shots. And it was such a shame for him to go down the way he did. I don't know. I mean, if I was a betting man, I'm betting on the Warriors because culture, Steve Kerr, and Steph Curry, and that that's really it. If the Raptors come back and just run it back with the same squad, I think they're they're contenders. The Bucks, the Sixers, who knows what happens to the Celtics? I think their their road's going to be pretty damn tough as well. 
So let's just say for the Raptors real quick, next year, who do they have under contract? They have Kyle Lowry. Marcus All has a player option, so he could opt out, but I don't know why he would walk away from 25.6 million. He's not going to get more anywhere else. And especially if like if if they sell him like hey, if Kawhi if if uh Kawhi opts in, then like we're right back where we were, especially because Serge Ibaka, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam are all on the books next year. The only one that's not uh aside from the two player options is Danny Green. That was their playoff rotation. So their entire playoff rate rotation could come back next year. That's why I think they have fewer moving pieces. Like I, I it it all hangs in the Kawhi balance. Like it's just one giant variable. But other than that, the whole team could be back. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, I have one thing to add here before we flip to the AD trade. I tweeted this out the other day, and um, I know the advanced analytics can be a little bit tricky sometimes, but I do really enjoy this one stat, win shares, um, that Basketball Reference puts out. I just think every time I look at it and I take a deep dive into it, outside of a few centers like Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella, whose numbers really do kind of get a little skewed by this win shares based off the defense and the and the rebounding stuff, take those guys away. This stat I really do appreciate. I think it does a really good job of putting into perspective just winning impact on games, right? So win shares for this playoffs – now, Kawhi played 24 games. For context, Steph Curry played 22. Kawhi had 4.9 win shares in the playoffs, right? 4.9. Steph Curry was second in win shares with 3.3. Also, quick shout-out. Third in win shares in just 14 games, my man Nikola Jokic. Shout-out to him. But for context, 4.9 win shares in 24 games for Kawhi Leonard. Thinking about this season, this regular season, I'm going to name a couple guys who had similar amount of win shares in exponentially more games. So first off, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell, an all-star. Mitchell, a rising star who got some all-NBA votes. Jason Tatum looked at as one of the best young players in the game. In 77 or more games this year, they had 5.0 win shares. Meaning Kawhi Leonard almost reached the same amount in 24 games. Draymond Green, for reference, in 66 games, 4.3 win shares. Devin Booker, in 64 games, 3.5 win shares. Kyle Kuzma, in 70 games, 3.1 win shares. So Kawhi outperformed what these guys did. Granted, most of them are young outside of Draymond Green. He did that in 24 games. The amount of winning impact he had day in, day out in the playoffs is unbelievable. And I just need to throw that out there. Pete, do you know who had 9.5 win shares this season in only 56 games? LeBron James. Anthony Davis. Wow. Kawhi Leonard did not outperform Anthony Davis in his playoff performance. <laughs> and there are, there are a few who could. 9.5 win shares is a pretty great number. Yeah, and the win shares per 48, which is another stat that they throw out there on basketball reference. Uh, Anthony Davis, and Rosillo has been bringing this up a lot. Anthony Davis was insane this year before all the drama hit, and he started playing 22 minutes a night. Like He was off the charts awesome before this all happened. So he was, he, I think, if I'm reading this right, he was worth like a quarter of a win per game. So by himself, he was like yeah. 25% of the way there? Exactly, that's correct. Wow. Yeah, and so, like I said, this stat is not perfect, but when you look at the win shares for the season every single year and you watch those players and you look at their stats and you really take a holistic view, 
at what those guys do, this thing, win shares, it, it's not off. Like, it's usually pretty damn close on who are the best players in the league. Pretty good stat, no? How many wins are you worth? Exactly. Very straightforward. But let's let's move on to the AD, Lakers trade. So just to break it down in case you don't know what it is, uh, the Pelicans are giving up Anthony Davis, and the Lakers uh, in return are giving Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three guaranteed first-round picks with a few conditions. So the Lakers are giving up this year's number four pick in the 2019 draft. They're giving up a top eight protected pick in the 2021 draft. And then if that pick is in the top eight and the Lakers retain it, the pick then becomes a 2022 uh, unprotected pick. Then the Pelicans have the right to swap picks with the Lakers in 2023, meaning if the Lakers have a higher pick than the Pelicans, the Pelicans will likely swap it. And then, it's not done yet, the Lakers are giving up a 2024 unprotected first-round pick that New Orleans can actually defer until 2025. So this has the potential. It's an automatic three unprotected picks going to – or three picks going to the – Pelicans with the potential to be four over the next six years. So they've really stockpiled along with three of the most promising young players in the league in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, guys who've gotten a lot of reps over their first two or three years. So now the Pelicans have obtained one of the most powerful war chests of assets in the league. And the Lakers in return have acquired one of the most talented big men the NBA has ever produced in Anthony Davis. So Pete, this is, this is a tough question and it never really has a clear answer, but I'm going to lay it out there for you just to get us going. Who at first gut reaction, when you first heard this trade, who did you think won the trade? The Lakers. Why? The Lakers are at a point of desperation. And that's not usually a place where winning comes from, right? You don't usually become desperate, and then all of a sudden, you're winning. That's not how it usually works. But the first year LeBron James, granted involved his first real injury of his entire career, was an absolute waste. Disregarding the fact that they were a four seed before he went down, disregarding the fact that they were one of the most fun teams to watch and seemed to be getting better and better before he went down, looking back, hindsight 2020, the Lakers offseason last year outside of LeBron was trash. They brought in three guys who are not a part of the future of basketball. They are, in fact, a part of the past. Lance Stevenson, as fun as he can be, and as many times for the Lakers last year that he may have turned up and uh, played his little air guitar and made a nice play or two or a nice pass. Don't or a disrespect nice... the air guitar, bro. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to disrespect, but he is not a efficient player. He is not a modern NBA player. He is an energy, like, eighth or ninth man on a good team, right? JaVale McGee, he had these talks of being this impactful guy early in the year. Yet, even though he was having this supposed great year early, what do they do? They made sure they got Tyson Chandler, who was playing late in games. They they traded uh, for more shooting, like Mike Muscala, which turned out horribly. JaVale McGee's minutes and impact got less and less as the season went on. He is not a future NBA player. Rajon Rondo, as much as you want to love him or hate him, he was great at times uh, in the past. He was awesome back in the day in, Celt- in the Celtics uh, times. He's not a future NBA player, and especially on a team with LeBron James and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram, who also needs the ball. 
Rajon Rondo, not that important. And granted, sometimes people say he's a leader. Young players love him. That's all sweet. He should not be relied upon in 2019 to win games in the NBA. It's just he shouldn't be. So the Lakers were coming from a point of desperation, and they needed to absolutely turn the tables and turn the tides in their favor. And what did they do? They added, like you said, perhaps the best big band of the modern era to play alongside LeBron James, who, if healthy, after this months and months of rest that he got, that he has never gotten before since, what, 2005? When has LeBron James not been... 2004? It's been like almost 15 years? Yeah. Or 15 years? It's been 15 years since he hasn't been in a deep playoff run. He's going to come back rested. We know how much he takes care of his body. And granted, if he plays 60 games and is healthy for the playoffs, that's enough. LeBron James and Anthony Davis can be a match made in heaven. Anthony Davis can stretch the floor just enough to not get in LeBron's way. And as a pick-and-roll partner, that might be one of the most dynamic pick-and-rolls we'll ever see. And for that purpose alone, disregarding losing Lonzo Ball, disregarding losing Ingram, and all those picks, the Lakers are now set up to be a contender. And that's no joke. Well, one thing we did point out earlier in the pod is that the Lakers now only have five people on their roster. So they have they have some work to do this offseason. A lot of work. And they have, yeah, they have a lot of work to do this offseason and some tough choices to make. Uh, but pretty much for that reason because there are so many question marks around who they're going to sign and what they can do with their cap space. I would say that the Pelicans actually won this trade. I think this is like an unprecedented amount of assets to get for any superstar. Like usually the rule of thumb, like forever that I personally subscribe to and pretty much everyone did, whoever gets the best player in the trade wins the trade. But I think because there's so many question marks around just the Lakers in general, I I don't really know what having these two players does. I like obviously they're two amazing transcendent Hall of Fame players. Fine. But Rob Palenka is like he I, I, I don't even know how to describe this dude at this point. Like he seems like a just complete moron. Like just not a smart person in any regard. And somehow he's running one of the most, <laughs> if not the most important NBA franchises. So what what like what am I to expect from this guy? Like is he really going to crush it this this offseason after last year he just went with like Michael Beasley, JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, like all those guys and he really expected to come out on top with that? Like the the Lakers the one thing they did is they got their they're in sync now. They know what they need to do. They need to sign guys who are going to help them win right now. Last year, they were in between. They had young guys that were developing. Then they had LeBron and a bunch of veterans who were in like win-now mode. And it's just like, what do you do with those people? They're not going to be on the same page at all, just mentally, physically, and just understanding the scope of what they're supposed to do in the NBA season. The Pelicans have a plan. They have a clear outline of what they're going to do. They're, just, they're saying, we're going to get super young. Everyone is going to be on the same timeline. Like a lot of people were talking about, oh, what if AD wants to stay? What if they just try it with Zion and see how it goes? Like it might be fun. He might want to, you know, what? Like typically, unless a player is in a veteran system and they like rise to superstardom a la Kawhi with the Spurs in 2014 when he had, you know, Parker, Duncan, and Ginobili around him and Pop, this would have been just Zion and AD. And their clocks are not in sync at all. Now you have Zion. Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, 
and three, maybe four players to be named later that when all the picks convey are going to be, everyone's going to be under the age of about 26 or 27. So they have a plan. They're going to develop from within and they have a lot of dynamic players who can play multiple positions and do things with or without the ball. So I actually am super excited to watch the Pelicans this year. I think in the long run that they will come out on top. I think in short term, the Lakers could win the trade if they win a finals. That's their goal. That's what every Laker fan is going to tell you. That's what the Lakers front office is going to tell you. That's what the Laker team is going to tell you. That's what the owners are going to tell you. If they don't win a championship, this is basically all for nothing, and they crippled their franchise for it. And these, a lot of these picks, two of them, potentially convey after LeBron has already left in 2022. Right. Not left necessarily, but when his contract is up. Right. So that was a really, really smart thing that the Pelicans did that not a lot of people have mentioned yet is LeBron could be off this team and Anthony Davis could potentially be off or if he's signing one and ones or if he gets hurt again or like there's a lot of what ifs in the next, what is it, six years Yeah. that could just have, like we just saw like, with the in, Warriors. In six, Everyone thought the Warriors were going to win this year and then within 30 days of the finals, Kevin Durant strains his his uh, his strains his calf uh, right before that. Demarcus Cousins tears his quad. Then Clay pulls his hamstring. Then he tears his ACLs. Then Kevon Looney like that was all in the span of like a month. Right. So what could happen in six years? We have no idea. I mean, in six years, LeBron will be in the league for twenty two years or something like that. Like, <laughs> right. So even if he resigns, like, what is he even going to be? Like, He's I know he wants 40. to play with his son. And if his son like really reaches his potential and is a high draft pick and the Lakers are supposed to be good, they won't have that pick. Yeah. They won't be able to draft him. So yeah, Bronny's LeBron's more likely to play the for the Pelicans. <laughs> what did you say? Bronny's more likely to play for the Pelicans. Seriously. Not not or, actually, or the Pelican. He's more likely to play for the fucking Minnesota Timberwolves. Could you imagine LeBron in a Timberwolves uniform? Hell no. Or like the Hawks? Hell or no. the Pistons? Back to Cleveland. The fucking fucking magic? Could you imagine <laughs> LeBron in Orlando? <laughs> That's where we could be in six years, Back and that's Cleveland. why the Pelicans won the trade. Back to Cleveland. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh my God! If that happens, that'd Jesus be hilarious. Christ. Wait, let me let me unpack a few things here because you said some interesting stuff. I want to get back to the Pelicans of them possibly winning this trade. But what if I told you that the Lakers made a conference finals and a finals in the next two years? No, I don't think that would be enough. I don't think that they need to win a championship. Okay. All right, that, that, the, the league is so wide open now. What have we said since KD went down? Now the West is completely wide open, and LeBron and, and AD are the best duo in the West we right also, now. We also have to take into consideration that the Rockets still have James Harden, but also have turmoil and have a coach who is or is not, we don't really know, going for a contract extension. We have Chris Paul, who was getting along with Harden, then they weren't getting along with together, and now they might trade Chris Paul. Everyone's on the block. The Rockets are in turmoil. It, it comes down to the Lakers, the shell of the Warriors, the shell of the Rockets, and then you look at like the Denver Nuggets as maybe the next contender. Can you imagine a Lakers-Nuggets conference finals? Like LeBron and Anthony Davis are getting bet on by everybody in that finals, as good as the Nuggets may be. If the Nuggets win 60 games, if you go to a playoff series, everyone and their mother is betting on LeBron and the Lakers. Um, so that's 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 a part of it. But let me flip to the Pelicans for a second here. because there's Wait, two- I just want to say something about the Nuggets before we move on. Okay. 
I'm always down like, for that. I, I was, I, I was going to bring this point up later, but I completely agree with you. They now, to me, are one of the most interesting teams in the offseason. Like everyone wants to talk about the Knicks, the Nets, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Raptors, you know, the Warriors. What are they going to do? All that stuff is important also. But the Nuggets have a, a top seven, eight guy in Jokic who's still young and just getting better. Murray is talented. Harris is talented. They have a lot of depth on their team. If they need, they were, I sort of see them as where the, um, the Celtics were like three or four years ago when they had just like a lot of guys who made up a good team, but they weren't really championship caliber. That's how they were this year to me. I think if they go out and sign somebody big this off season, relatively big for them, I don't know what they have the cap space for. Like, but if they get someone like a Jimmy Butler, a Tobias Harris, Someone or if Michael, Michael Porter Jr. becomes a player, or yeah, Michael Porter Jr. is still we have no idea what he is. I completely forgot about him, but someone like that, I really think they could be a super interesting team that could like sneaky find their way in the Western Conference Finals. And then who knows at that? I mean, they could have, should have, would have been in the Conference Finals this year. I mean, you look back at the way the yeah, Warriors, no, point. the way the Warriors Blazers series went, even though the Blazers were in almost all of those games and really kind of blew big leads in three of the four losses. Like they went to a game seven with the Nuggets. And if the Nuggets are in that series, do they give the Warriors a different look and a little bit more struggle to score? Because like really what happened was Portland just couldn't couldn't maintain the Warriors uh shooting and and just Steph and Clay running around and going but bananas. So it is very interesting. But let me flip back to the Pelicans for a second because I do agree that their future is now very bright. They have some of the best assets in the league. They do have um, three young players, let's say uh, Lonzo, Ingram, and Zion Williamson, and the fourth pick, which if they do pick that pick, another young player to the mix, or if they trade that for a more established player, who knows? I still don't see that team as a team that's going to win more than 35 games. I mean, I'm hearing people come out and say, you know, this Pelicans roster with Zion Williamson and Lonzo Ball, they can be a playoff team this year. And I I, I just don't see it. Young players don't win in this league. You mentioned it before. As much as I love Lonzo, and I think I might love him more than anybody else in the, in the NBA world right now. In the world, not named LeVar Ball. Not named LeVar Ball, exactly. I'm a huge fan of Lonzo's game. I think he's going to be a winning player for the next 14 years of his career. It's going to be awesome to watch him grow and figure out how to shoot at this level. His passing, his defense is undeniable. Uh, Zion is obviously one of the top prospects we've had in since Anthony Davis, right? But to say that team is a playoff team right now is super aggressive. Am I right or am I wrong? And I, lo- I wait, and see, I'm not ready to crown Drew, them like a playoff team. I love just, Drew Holiday too. Like Drew Holiday is a borderline all star for the, every time he's healthy. He's a borderline all star. He's 20 points a game. He's a top notch defender in the league. Him and Lonzo may be perhaps the best defensive backcourt in the league, and that's not even an exaggeration. That's probably factual. And still, like, where is this team getting 115 points tonight from? Are, is Lonzo going to boom up to 18, 19 points a game? Is Zion going to be that impactful of a rookie? I don't imagine them being a playoff team right away. I think the West, though more open than ever, still has enough teams that's going to win 42-plus games. I don't think the Pelicans are there yet. But but also, like you said, this is not about next year for the Pelicans. It's about the next three to six years. It's about the next five to eight years, if you want to even go that far. Because when you have Zion Williamson, you have him guaranteed for seven years. So is that is their window seven? Maybe. 
But when does it turn around? What do they need to add? Or what do they need from Ingram and Ball to become a true 50-plus win team and a staple in the Western Conference playoffs? So Josh Hart, who, like, you know, shout out Josh Hart, Nova guy. I'm a Nova fan. <sighs> Nothing but respect for him, but yeah. he is the least important piece in this trade. Yeah, he's a throw-in. He, Let's be honest. He's, a th- he's we- essentially a throw-in. And he's 24 years old. So everyone is going to be between 24 and 19 years old. I think they're looking... We've seen teams do this and try to accelerate the process. I feel like they're essentially trying to do what the Celtics and the Sixers did. Now, they didn't have to tank for years and years to make it happen, or you know, they're just at the beginning. Like Think of where the Celtics were when they traded away uh, Pierce and Garnett and got all those picks back from the Nets, and they were just like really bad. Now... And they they didn't have like any one single like talented young player to really just say this is who we're going to build around. This is what it's all for. The Pelicans have that like they have a leg up on where the Celtics started and where the Sixers started, in my opinion, because they have, I believe they have their own pick, their own picks like coming up in the in 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 the coming years. Plus now they have a Laker picks. Plus now they have they're going to have Zion number one pick, Brandon Ingram number two pick overall, Lonzo Ball number two pick overall. Josh Hart, who is like going to be a solid pro, it seems, and Drew Holiday. That's the variable to me. Like this season, is he going to pull like the Mike Conley type thing where he's like, you know, I appreciate what you're doing here. I respect it. You want to go younger, but I'm ready to play and win now. Like I think he gets flipped for something. Now, do they throw him in with one of these picks to try to get? I have no idea who else. Like they're trying to get off. I, I, I don't have the trade machine in front of me, but I, I don't have any, I don't have any ideas in my head assets. for that either. Like, if you're trading Drew well, Holiday, well, there's so many variables up in the air still. Like, I don't know, so many teams could come out as sellers, you know, out of the woodwork just because they don't get anyone in free agency. Like, we were talking about is this going to be a playoff team? But if you go back and look at the playoffs last year and who was in there for the West, you know, who is it going to be? Uh, like, what's going to happen to the Spurs? Like. They'll probably be solid, but like, could they be kicked out of the playoffs? I think so at this point. Absolutely. Uh, the Clippers, like, if they don't get Kawhi Leonard, then who do they get? So their fate isn't sealed. The Rockets, we talked about all the turmoil that's already going on pre-draft, let alone free agency. So are they going to give D'Antoni the extension? Is he going to raise the stink all year? Apparently, James Harden and Chris Paul do not get along at all. So then, what happens? Are the Jazz going to sign anyone in the offseason? Like the Thunder, the Thunder, and the Blazers, the Blazers. I think both those teams are talented enough to make it to the playoffs at least. But I think there's some wiggle room for the Pelicans if everything clicks and if things break their way. Like they could be someone like the Kings already, where they're kind of talented, young, playing together, and they're knocking on the playoffs door at at that point. Like, do you think they could be as good as the Kings were this season? Yeah, that's like their that's their sweet spot for me. You know, thirty five. 38 if all things go well like you know sneaky within two games of the playoffs with eight to go and they're if they go on a run and things bounce the right way maybe they get an eight seed but what does that even mean i guess the experience is great with all that capital they have they already have the young King, talent the kings and who knows who the they're kings gonna pick are, up with the fourth pick the kings are a good cop but are the kings a year ahead or did the pelicans catch right up i th- i mean i think the pelicans could catch right up now the only thing is a lot, some of those guys from the Kings have been playing together for at least one year. Um, 
everybody on the Pelicans is going to be brand new for them. So I really can't say what is going to happen. I can only just think what could happen. They have enough talent to really pull, pull something together. It's just a matter of whether it clicks or not. Are they going to stay healthy? Lonzo Ball has not played as many games as he has played in this in his career so far. Yeah, he might How actually. Is Brandon Ingram going to really develop and extend his jump shot? Lonzo might have this weird thing where he has played like the exact amount of games as he missed or something like that. Like he, it really feels fifty fifty. It's like fifty fifty. And what pisses me off, and I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but what pisses me off is he was like turning a corner last year. He was really playing good basketball. And if you look at the plus minus stuff for the Lakers roster last year. LeBron and Lonzo on the court together was by far their best duo. So was he really headed in the right direction? I think he was, but obviously I'm biased because I, I do love his style of play so much. Let me ask you this. Who is the more important player moving forward? Is it Ingram or is it Ball? And think about That's it. That's a really tough question. Think about um, it. Think about it these ways. Think about it in the construct of playing along Zion Williamson, who we all are going to, for now, until we see him play on the NBA court, look at him as the centerpiece to this team. Think about it in that aspect, and then think about it in a more general, uh, isolated aspect of how Ingram and Ball's games should or will develop um, in modern NBA. I think Lonzo's the type of player, much like LeBron or Ben Simmons, who they their skill level rises with the talent around them. They're good at making people around them better, which makes them look better. And that's a really important thing if you have really good talent around. Now, if you don't and things don't pan out and like Etwan Moore is getting too many minutes and they don't move Solomon Hill and Brandon Ingram hasn't stepped it up, like what what's that gonna what's that gonna mean for Lonzo Ball? Like Whereas someone like Ingram, he's going to be who he's going to be in a vacuum. It really doesn't matter who's around him because he's more of an isolation player and he doesn't facilitate the ball like someone like Alonzo Ball. I think I think Lonzo is more important because he already has the ability to play good defense and he makes others around him better. And if he can refine his skills so that he's more comfortable attacking the basket and finishing around the rim, like, for the love of God, he's, like, for as much as we love him, he is awful at finishing around the rim. Could, yeah, Straight up terrible. Dreadful from and time he's to time. Dread, and dreadful from the free throw line, too. Like, right. if he cleans those two things up, like, I think that stuff has got to be as much mental as it is physical. If he cleans that stuff up, and I think this, I mean, we could just see some D'Angelo Russell effect from everyone involved here, where they get out of L.A., and they're out of the spotlight, they're in New Orleans, and they can just, like, calm down and play basketball. That's going to be tough because they have Zion now. But I think towards the middle of the season, I could see them finding their groove after people have gotten over the hype by the end of November and then towards the middle of December and Christmas when people start playing meaningful basketball. Meaningful regular season basketball. Right. So from a very simplistic standpoint, Lonzo went from, I'm going to break it down. The first half of his rookie season, he was shooting in the low 20s from three, right? He bumped it up to 30%, which means he wasn't shooting great, but he was shooting a lot better as the year went on. And then last year, he shot 33% from three. Does that become 35? Does that become 36? And he becomes truly respectable from out there. Does he add a floater? 
I know, you know, we watch Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving, even Dame Lillard, Kemba Walker, as these smaller guys or non-vertical guys have the ability to finish with spin off the glass or finish with floaters or through contact. Can Lonzo add just one portion of that to his game, the floater, um, the finishing through contact? Can he add that? And then, like you said, the free throw thing is so underrated and so important. I mean, this guy's shooting like Dwight Howard from the free throw line. That's how bad he is at free throws. And that's... Like, that's crazy. He doesn't get there enough to where it's, like, so noticeable night in, night out. He only shoots one or two a game. But if you're under 50% from the free throw line, like, you can't be on the court when it matters most. And granted, he does so many important things late in games from a defense and passing standpoint that he he will be out there, especially on the Pelicans. But if you're shooting less than 50%, man, oh, that is just a tough look for someone who is expected to become an all-star in this league. It's it's like a little frustrating, but also super exciting because he's so capable of doing those things. Like adding that finesse to his game and simply making free throws, like he's so, so capable of that because you, you can see in his defense, like young players aren't supposed to be good at defense. He's good at deep. Like he's not, you know, he's not all defense. I'm not trying to make him out to be Patrick Beverly, but for a young guy, who's like 21 years old in the NBA being that good at defense is, is fairly uncommon, which shows he has a mind for the game and his passing is so skilled, not with like the angles he sees it and the feel he has for it. It's just like the finesse on the, some of any, his passes. The anticipation. He's not throwing like crazy J will spin on it. It's like these like weird timing touch passes where he'll stop mid dribble or throw down an extra dribble or like, like he he does weird stuff one handed off the dribble that like I love to see. It's the anticipation passes, really. Yes, and I think with hyper athletic player like Zion, it could be so so fun, especially in the fast break. Him, Drew Holiday, Zion, Ingram, all running on a break like that could be really great. I think what comes back into play with Lonzo Ball is the Jason Kidd comp, comp that he would get in the draft, right? A lot of people like to compare him to Jason Kidd. The size wasn't too far off. Obviously, the frame on ball is a little bit less, but the height's similar. Uh, the passing is uncanny. The only difference is Lonzo's not the type of point guard who's going to pound the rock. He's not going to stand at the top of the key and take 25 dribbles and run pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. He's going to move the ball, move without the ball, and make the right plays when when it's right. But with the Jason Kidd comparison, and you try to think about an all-star in this league, Jason Kidd wasn't a perennial 24-point scorer. I think his highest he ever hit was the high 19s, maybe 21 year or something like that. And also his shooting was crap early in the career, and he became one of the better um, longevity three-point shooters in NBA history. Yeah, it really adapted his game as he got older. Right. That comparison for Lonzo Ball, I think, becomes more and more true as we realize that Lonzo's not going to be a 24-point game guy he's just not but if he can sit around 17 18 seven rebounds seven assists play that defense where he turns steals into transition buckets and just makes life easier for zion williamson makes life easier for brandon ingram he becomes an all-star like that and that trajectory to me is super possible the trajectory for me that's not super possible is brandon ingram trying to become an actual star because when I watch Ingram, I think he thrives when he has the ball in his hands. And if you're playing with Zion, you're playing with Lonzo, unless you become super efficient and able to shoot some three-pointers, he's not going to deserve the ball in his hand enough to truly be effective. So that's why I, I have a little bit of pause with Ingram, despite 
just seeing the obvious talent that he has to put the ball in the basket and to to pass a little bit. Um, but with the teammates that he has, he needs to be relied upon to become a star. And if you're with Zion and he is what we think he is, and if Lonzo becomes this this real facilitating 18-point-a-game uh, guy who he can become, where does Ingram fit? Does he just get the throwaway possessions when you know they don't feel like running a play or it's uh, 10 seconds left in the clock here, Brandon, go make a shot? Does that lead him to his full potential, or does it just kind of highlight him enough to become a trade chip? Or does it force him into like continued bad habits? Right, of taking mid-rangers or mm-hmm. uh, not really getting to his spots or getting to the rim. Because we're his... feeling like he needs to take the tough shot instead of creating the next best play. Exactly. So that's why I lean towards Lonzo. And I'm, I'm operating under the assumption here that Zion isn't the centerpiece of this team. I'm, I'm, even though I don't want to just give him that yet, I'm going to operate under that assumption because it's it's that all, he is it's or all is it? that he is that he is okay. Like I don't want to just like hand it to him. Oh, this guy's an all star already because he's not going to be an all star in year one. It's just not how it works. Yeah, but none of the other guys either. Right, so. that's true. But if he becomes the real centerpiece of this team and he's averaging twenty points and twelve rebounds and th- two and a half blocks and is just this freak athlete guy with a big motor, defensive ability, sneaky good passing, and a transition monster. Like, he's going to be the centerpiece, and then where does Ingram fit? Because I know how ball fits with that. We saw a glimpse of it with LeBron, of what he can do to impact winning, and Ingram seemed to do better when maybe LeBron wasn't there to take the ball from him, or maybe um, there was no one really else there, and he had to do it all himself. And that's what kind of yeah, makes me nervous with fitting better, him with a bunch of guys. Did the team do better? Like that's no. the weird lens you have to look through. Exactly, it's it's Andrew Wiggins esque, but with the ability to be much more efficient. I will give Ingram. Plus, also Ingram has a much better passing field than Wiggins has. Yeah, Wiggins doesn't know how to pass. One um, <laughs> one thing that's going to be cool uh, about this team, also, like as much shit as I give Alvin Gentry, because look, sometimes he just deserves it. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> but what's what's going to be cool is like. He's got some really great athletes to work with in Drew Holiday and Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram. They're going to run. They're really going to run. Like, just plug in. Zion is essentially what Julius Randle was for them last season. Like, I think he'll be 80% of that. Well, I think he'll be 80% offensive. But but Zion's going to play defense, and Randle didn't always do that last year. He was trying to get his numbers to get paid. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, he might not hit it offensively, but here's the thing about Zion Williamson. The guy gives a fuck. Yeah. Like, how many, like, Andrew Wiggins doesn't give a fuck. You know, like, this, that's something that really matters when you're playing such a long, grueling season. And then if you really want to make it to the playoffs, like, if you really have that in you and you really want to succeed on that next level, you have to give a fuck. Like, for as much shit as I give Russell Westbrook all the time, all season, every night, the guy gives like almost too much of a fuck. Like, <laughs> so, but true, but he does true. care, and no, that's he cares so why much. I begrudgingly respect him, and that's why I begrudgingly will always include him, even though he shot one of the worst shooting seasons of all time. He's still an All NBA player because the impact he has from the energy, the demeanor, the um, fear that he puts into the opposing players, like it's so real. And if Zion is you know, running around like a chicken without a head for the first three years of his career. It may not be the most efficient Zion we'll ever see, but it'll be a Zion who inspires his teammates to play with that same heart and that same energy. 
And that goes such a long way. I'm such an analytics guy. I think it's super important in basketball to be efficient and to take the right shots. But when you have guys who go out there and play their balls off, it changes everything. Everything. Even Enos Cantor. I mean, God damn it, he proved me something this year. Because he is an analytics nightmare. Defensively, he's a train wreck. Uh, offensively, he can score great around the rim, but even his efficiency there isn't spectacular. It's just, it's just solid. You know, you know what I'm saying? The offensive rebounding helps too, but he proved something in the playoffs with the Blazers that he cares and will work his ass off to beat the guy next to him or the guy in front of him or the guy behind him. And it changed the energy of a series. For the Blazers, when Nurkic, who's having this awesome season, goes down, you're like, "Oh crap!" There go the Blazers. Their shot, their shot is done. They're not going anywhere this playoffs. And Enos Cantor, who has been quoted by his coaches, "We can't play this guy in the fourth quarter. We can't play this guy anymore." He showed. Can't play Cantor. He exactly. He showed that that extra effort, that extra energy, does have value past the analytics. And it really matters. <laughs> and I, it's weird to say it for all the times I've no, banged on him getting picked on pick and rolls. I always defended him. That's why I've, like, me, you, Frank, like, that's why the three of us have always defended Cantor on some level, even though he might be, like, just part of some cult by some Turkish dude that lives in the Poconos or whatever. That's not important, guys. He cares. He cares. And that's such an important thing. And coaches, you hear them say it all the time, and it almost sounds like, it's falling on deaf ears, but I really think if Zion can lead by example, you look at the Raptors this year when they won, they won the finals and everyone had this, like no one was getting too excited. No one on the Raptors gave the Warriors any bulletin board material. Like the the most, the closest thing was that Fred Van Vliet said in the third quarter of game, I think it was three after like they come out from halftime and Kawhi hits two FU shots. Like that was the most edgy thing they had said all playoffs. They went out with an icy cold discipline because Kawhi was their leader and that was the tone he set. That's true. And that's something Zion can do for New Orleans. By the way, Fred Van Vliet, shout out to that guy, bro. What a baller. What a baller. Yeah. I mean, last year he disappointed in the playoffs. And I remember I was on that wagon where I was like, this Raptors team is different. DeMar DeRozan improved some of the, his downfalls of the game. And clearly that meant nothing once they ran into LeBron and they got absolutely wiped off the floor. Van Vliet, May or may have not been banged up last year, but he was disappointing in the playoffs. And it hurt me to say it because I, I was so pro him and I was so pro Siakam. And then one year later, they come out and prove that they belong in the biggest stage of the NBA. Fred Van Vliet, fantastic uh, NBA playoffs performance post him having a baby, which is very strange. He started shooting lights out after his son was born. Um, Yo, shout, out his, uh, shout out his daughter, though. Like, just oh, don't forget there's another kid. True. For her sake, yeah, but she was everyone out. Not not you specifically, just everyone. Like I think it's kind of funny. Like she wasn't just born though. I know. I mean, sorry. the other. I mean, the son yeah. should get most of credit. But sorry, sorry, you know, sorry, sorry not sorry. Bad. Yeah, not fair. Uh, also, real quick, Josh Hart. Like, is he even? What what percent of Fred Van Vliet is Josh Hart? Now they're kind of different players because Van Vliet can handle the ball a little more, could kind of create his own thing a little bit, but they are meant to be top bench players. What percent of Fred Van Vliet is Josh Hart? Uh, at this point, I would say... Well, they're, dude, they're very close in age, so don't, you know... What no, I, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, at, at this point in their careers, like, they're both, you know, they've only played, like, two seasons. Van Vliet right? has like, one year on him, and half of it okay. was in the G League. 
Okay. Oh, true. Um, I would say Josh Hart is like seventy percent of Van Vliet. So is he is he in a rotation? Is, is Josh Hart in the rotation for a championship team? He could be. Could be. I think he could be. All like right. he he he's larger. He presents more defensive options. Yeah. Like they got you know, away with Van dude. Vliet because they could just run him at Steph Curry, right. who's not particularly tall. Van Vliet did a good job chasing Steph and just harassing him for sure. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I Hart kept getting brought up as like a real piece of this Lakers trade, and I always just wanted to say like. Dude, he's he's a throw-in. He's another guy who nah, can, he's, a he's a guy you can put on the court and be fine with, and you're happy he's on your team because he plays the right way and he does some good things. He's, I mean, he's a solid throw-in. Would you rather have him as a throw-in or Stanley Johnson? I mean, I'd rather have Josh Hart. That's fair. That's very fair. And Stanley Johnson was a lottery pick. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. I'll take it. I'll allow it. Speaking of lottery picks, though, last thing we're going to talk about, uh, quick, quick draft stuff just because it does pertain to this trade. So the fourth pick is owned by the Pelicans, and a lot of people pronounce this draft as a three-person draft. Zion, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett. That leaves the Pelicans right after the said three-person draft. Is there one guy for you, Duff? Is there one dude who you would say, you know what, at four, I'm going for him. This is a four-person draft, and I know what guy it is. Or are you trading the hell out of this pick? I want to see what Drew Holiday wants to do. Because then if he wants to leave, you could package the pick with it and get something better, potentially. I would need to sit down and have a conversation with Drew Holiday. But given basically what I've said on this podcast the whole time is the the time frame. Like, what are the Pelicans trying to do in the long term? They're looking at five, six years down the road. I'm ta- I'm keeping this pick and I'm making it. Just you have the asset now, or or potentially talking to the Hawks and say, you know, we'll give you four for eight and ten. Like I'll trade back with the Hawks. Right. I don't know if the Hawks would want to do that, but yeah, I don't know either. But I want to do that if I'm the Pelicans. So I don't know. But it all depends. Like, do the Hawks have someone on their board that they would love to get at four? I have no clue. So it's worth taking a swing at that. I would make that trade if I was the Pelicans. Otherwise, I would keep the pick. Because right. I think there are, are a handful of guys in this draft that could really outshine their potential or what their perceived potential is. So this this could be a draft where you really find like diamond in the rough, like second best player in the draft comes from any anywhere between two and sixteen. Like it, it, I really feel that. So. Right. That's the toughest thing about this draft. I think the one thing I want to mention— Would you keep it or would you trade it? I would keep it. I would keep it, and I would take Darius Garland. Um, I know it's weird to think, all right, we have Lonzo Ball, point guard. We have Drew Holiday, a point guard. But both Lonzo and Drew can be combo guards of sorts. They don't need the ball all the time by any means. So I have no problem taking Darius Garland, who we have very limited game footage on. He's a little undersized, but boy, can he rip some three-pointers. Off the dribble, pull up, spot up— Guy can flat out shoot the basketball, and he has a quick uh, little handle that is pretty impressive. Limited game tape, limited size, can get overwhelmed by big defenders, and I think he will run into that at the next level, years one, two, three. But looking at the long future of this Pelicans team, I have no problems drafting a guard because, like you said, Drew Holiday can be out of there before we know it. Lonzo Ball can play 
defense on ones or twos and can also allow a semi-ball dominant guard to get his fair share of shots and run pick and roll while Lonzo does a bunch of other stuff. So I am not afraid to take a point guard from the Pelicans. And Garland is my fourth best player in this draft. I'm ripping it on him. I have no problem with that pick. I would lean towards Darius Garland myself. Uh, he, so, so for those who don't know, like he, he's only 6'2". He's got a 6'5 wingspan, though, which usually bodes well just for getting defense Getting general. your shot off, too. Getting your shot off, deflections, anything like that. He's like The main thing about him is perimeter scoring, and he's got a lot of skill, whether it's playmaking, ball handling, or scoring at the rim or beyond the three-point arc. He's... In those five games, he really showed a lot of tools. Um, but there are two more, and I want to see where you stand on these players. There are two more um, highly touted, we'll say, uh, prospects at what are projected to be the four and five picks between Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech and DeAndre Hunter. So I think this is basically the, the four pick is the most interesting question in this draft at the moment, like four through six, and it's really just these three guys and where you put them. Yeah. So is there any is there any world where you can see taking DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver over Darius Garland for you? Like could you talk yourself yes. into it? Yes, I so can. So just a quick rundown. Jarrett Culver, he's six foot seven with like a six ten wingspan. He's twenty years old. Garland is nineteen years old. DeAndre Hunter is twenty one and a half, and he's also six seven, but with a seven two wingspan. Yeah. So the one other name I'm going to throw in here, I'll get to him in a minute, is Cam Reddish. I think he had a really rough season at Duke. I think that team, we say how it didn't help R.J. Barrett because of spacing. Zion could have been better with spacing. Their team would have just been, Duke would have had more team success with spacing. And Cam Reddish's struggles were part of their spacing problem because he was supposed to be the shooter on the team, but he was really the only shooter on the team. So I'll get to him in a moment. But in regards to Culver and Hunter, they're two guys I I definitely like. They are lottery picks through and through. They're the type of guys that even in a stacked draft still get looked at top 14 for me with ease. And it's very, it's very tricky because I look at Hunter and he's a little bit more, you know, he's got a little bit more strength in his game, a little bit more brute in his game where he can really use his body, get to the rim, spin moves and drop steps and finish around the rim. Decent shooter, projects as a fantastic defender. Culver projects to me a little bit more of an offensive player than than Hunter with, with the shot, even though his three-point percentage was down. His free throw percentage was still very strong. So they're as similar as they are. They actually are a little bit different stylistically. And for me... I don't like going fit when it comes to the NBA draft, but if I am a team in the lottery and I am, you know, the uh, Atlanta Hawks and I have, you know, Trey Young, shooter, Kevin Herter, shooter, John Collins teaching himself to shoot a little bit, really a rim runner. Uh, I, I look at that roster and I say, I, I really need a guy who can be a three and D defensive stopper with some uh, slashing upside. I'm going DeAndre Hunter. But if I am more of, you know, maybe the Phoenix Suns, and I'm looking at Mikel Bridges on my team, Devin Booker on my team. I may consider going Jared Culver because you just you just need more people who can do stuff with the ball and kind of create their own shot. And I think that's Culver because Booker can't do it all alone. Even though they desperately need a point guard, I do think they need some wing scoring because I just don't think Mikel Bridges is that guy. I think Bridges is more similar to Hunter in that sense. So. Th- those are two guys who I look at like 
they're just different stylistically, but they're in the same exact ilk where they're not stars, but they're starters. And I would really look at team need if I'm going to go for one of those guys, which is completely different than I would do in any other NBA draft. Yeah, if and if I'm the Pelicans at this point, you, uh, like you're you're not you don't have to worry about now. Like DeAndre Hunter, in a different draft, might be like like I I really see him being more of like who would be a, like Damari Carroll when he was good, or like Jay Crowder <laughs> if he was a little bit better. I like the or, if he was like, good. <laughs> yeah. So or just like. Um, no, when he was good. When he was on right, the, right. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah. When he was good. Um, or like, you know, like Luol Dang, but a better shooter when he was on the Bulls. Like, stuff like that. That's kind of where I see him fitting in. It's not really going to, you know, like it's taking a 3 and D player and saying like, well, look what happened to Kawhi. Like, that was a one in a million shot. You know, the, that's not really fair to put on DeAndre Hunter. So if I'm the Pelicans, I'm eyeing down Garland and I'm, and I'm eyeing down Culver. Like, I want someone who's going to be a dynamic offensive player who could potentially be an, an asset on defense. So like, you're saying if you're, for Pelicans, if you're this far from a championship, like what are you doing trying to get defense? Right. Well, yeah, especially if you have two like all league defenders in the backcourt already and Zion, yeah. who looks to be maybe one of his best skills could be defense. So I, I'm with you from Pelicans Culver over Hunter for sure. Just based off the offensive versatility that he showed. Uh, but I, I want to mention Cam Reddish again. What is like? What is your? What's that that uh, phrase they say for like finance stuff? Cost analysis, cost, risk, cost analysis. What is like, that? Uh, <laughs> cost benefit analysis. Something like that. You know what I'm trying to say, though, right? So, couple of business school kids, folks. <laughs> yeah. Where do you have to be with your franchise to be pumped to take Cam Reddish? Because upside wise, I know upside is and potential is a, a term that gets thrown around in the NBA draft and kind of leads teams down the gutter with their pick a lot. But I, I really hate to just give up on this kid because he has incredible size, incredible talent. He looks awesome in the gym, but seemed to disappear on the Duke court. What kind of franchise do you have to be to look at him and say, no, that's my guy, and I'm going all in on him? Uh, I think someone like Cleveland at the five pick, they take a swing. I don't think Phoenix... They've taken enough swings. Like, please get some players that don't suck. Swing and a miss. Chicago, take a swing. Atlanta. They have two picks, so maybe they could take a swing too, honestly. Yeah, take a swing. If he's there at eight, why not? Because um, realistically, Washington, Hunter, realistically, take a Hunt- swing. Like, Washington's so far away from being anywhere near anything because of that wall contract. So he probably, like, Reddish probably has the trajectory to become the best player out of Culver and Hunter. But he also has the trajectory to become the worst out of them, <laughs> which yeah, is like, like the, he that's the he, worst like thing about the draft. Is, his floor is like not even the floor; it's like in the basement. Like it could be yeah. bad. Like he could be he could be he could be a Jeff. He could Green. be out of the league. No, no, see, he he's could not. Straight up, be out of the league. He can't be out of the league. He can be a Kelly Oubre, Jeff Green, like guy who on one night you see him on the right night and you're like, oh shoot, this guy can rip. This guy can kind of do some things. And then you watch the next game and like, oh, what is Cam Reddish injured? Oh, no, he played 30 minutes. He just took four shots and missed them all. Like, what? What? Yeah. You could, like, <laughs> he can completely disappear at any moment. Yeah. So, like, again, just p- teams that are, like, so far away from being anything, except for Phoenix, just for the sake of, like, you got to get somebody. your shit together at some point here. <laughs> like, seriously? Get somebody who uh, can play with Devin Booger. Just literally get 
a player who can play and not embarrass you. Like, don't you can't do Josh Jackson again. You can't do that again. And Cam um, Reddish could be Josh Jackson. He so easily could be. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, real quick, super quick before we say goodbye, we're already in what an hour and fifteen. That's not so bad. But real quick, make it. Let's make this five more minutes. Two teams we didn't talk about who were, you know, let's say had a half a foot, not even a full foot in the Anthony Davis trade sweepstakes, the Celtics and the Knicks. What are, what are we looking for here? The Celtics have three picks, 14, 20, 22. What in the hell are they doing? Because, like, the options are endless, but none of them are obvious for the Celtics right now, and I have no idea what the hell they're going to do. I, you know... I don't know who's on the table to trade for that you can really get those three picks together. I mean, I thought you could give them to the Pelicans. Like, we'll give you three picks right up front this year, plus, you know, two years from now, I'll give you a pick, plus we'll give you Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. And, but you know, did, maybe not Jalen Brown. Can't do all three of those guys probably. But, but then they said Tatum wasn't on the board. Or Tatum was not on the board. We found out later on after the deal was done uh, with the Lakers. So, I guess they were never really in it if they weren't willing to put Tatum on the on the on the trade offer. Um, I don't know what they do from here. I don't know what Horford's going to do with his contract. I don't like. I feel like they need to make some type of move because why do they have three picks? Like I don't feel like they need them. They should package three of those and get into like the top ten somehow. I don't know who they trade with, but. I guess maybe they'll see somebody somebody on draft night that's still on the board. Like they're in an awkward position now where we've just been waiting so long. Like I know with the Pelicans thing, like I'm I'm talking like they're um, they're exciting, they're ahead of where the Celtics were, and that's all true. And now the Celtics have been doing this for a couple years with guys who are young, supposed to be developed, like really forming into shape. They took a big step back this year. They're gonna lose Kyrie Irving. 90% chance at this point. They could lose Al Horford if he opts out. Is Gordon Hayward going to rally next season? Like, If it's anything like the Paul George uh, track, he'll be better. But they're kind of in no man's land right now because they had such high expectations at the beginning of the season. Like, think of a year. Did you ever think the Celtics, we would be sitting here like, what are they going to do? Like, They don't seem to have any plan at this point or not any clear plan to go to go forward with like at this point, I mean, they're like a year ago, their obvious plan is just keep Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and hope for improvements. And they become two borderline all-stars or perennial all-stars who knows, but to go back to something I talked about earlier and how quick this stuff changes. When I said how don't take this warrior's dynasty for granted, it's not going to end pretty. It's going to end before you think it's going to end and whatever these narratives change so fast in the playoffs alone. Kevin Durant went from being, the best player on the planet, to the Warriors don't even need him to win a championship, to the Warriors definitely need him to win a championship, to ruptured Achilles out for at least a year. That that is how quick Kevin Durant's timeline just changed. It went from greatest player on the planet to now off for a full year because of a ruptured Achilles in a month and a half. So it's insane. And likewise, one year ago today, we were saying that we would take – not we, me, and you, but we as a general NBA public uh, were saying that we would take Brad Stevens 
20th in a fantasy draft in the NBA. Like we would we would only take 15 players before we take Brad Stevens. We would only take X amount of players before Jason Tatum. He's on the fast track to become a superstar. And now we I sit here. I forgot that was a real question. It was a real question, Duff. It, it, it's insane. We were literally out here saying we would take a coach before All-Stars. We were out here saying Jason Tatum is the next best thing. Like he's the next Kobe Bryant, Mamba mentality. Like these things change so freaking fast. It's it's absurd. The Celtics still have a good future with these picks and with Tatum, but their decisions are not obvious and they are tough and they are not they are no longer operating from a place of supreme power like they were over the past 2 to 3 seasons. Kyrie Irving's on his way out. Gordon Hayward, hopefully he's better like you said. But their decisions are not clear. They are not by any means going to be easy to make. And if they are a six seed next year and are average as hell, no one would be shocked. But if Tatum averages 23 points a game and is awesome next year, no one's going to be shocked either. They have such a variance now that they've never had in the past three seasons. I think they don't need to do too much. They just need to fine-tune a couple things. Again, these three picks, it feels like they're not going to have them come draft night or something's going to happen, whatever. Um, but I, it's now that Kyrie is out of there, they have room to grow and operate. Like, I can't believe I'm saying that, especially someone who loved Kyrie as much as me, like just a year ago. Um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for them. I don't, I don't know what to do with it. As for the Knicks, like that's, that feels like a lot less moving parts. They were just kind of, let's get Anthony Davis any means necessary, even though they really didn't have the means. Um, nor do they want to give up those means, which is weird. It's a weird complex there where they actually have come out and said they were not interested in giving up their entire roster for Anthony Davis. Meanwhile, their roster, not that impressive. <laughs> yeah, like they, they, they needed the trade window to be sometime in the first two weeks of July, and they needed to sign Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and then try to like somehow get Anthony Davis to force his way to New York instead of L.A., I don't know how or whatever, but at this point, the number one thing they need to do is throw a max contract with max years at Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Just like straight up next year's a wash. You get RJ Barrett, you tank again, you get another pick. Do they have a Mavs pick next year? Um, The Mavs pick is is the year after after that. I think I don't know. I'd have so, to check. I'm not sure. But wait, fine, let me, let me regardless, s- okay. just you get another like top eight pick probably with the talent that you have and just get that pick again. Just really just retain assets, cap space, and you have Kevin Durant on the books locked up. That's what you do. Because at this point, like Knicks fans, I'm sorry, you got to take that swing. You just have Absolutely. to. Absolutely. I completely agree with everything except for one. Uh, definitely pay Durant as much as you can. Give him all the years you can. Do all that stuff. I totally agree. Take R.J. Barrett. I agree with that as well. What do you do with your remaining cap space is the real question. Do you sign one-year guys? Do you sign J.J. Reddick's of the world? Do you sign uh, Trevor Reese's of the world to one-year deals to now show your young guys in Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett how to be professionals, how to become winners. Even though they're not going to be, a, say, a playoff team, can they become the Kings where people are saying, okay, this team's fun to watch. They have an identity. I have said this on the pod a hundred times. I'll say it again. 
They need to know what it's like to play close games and win close games. We saw this with the Brooklyn Nets last year. They were not the most talented team. They were probably not the fifth or sixth most talented team in the Eastern Conference. Yet, in the playoffs, they played a couple good games against the Sixers, who were a bounce away from having a chance to the Eastern Conference Finals. But they had guys who wanted to win, who played to win, and learned how to do it slow and steady throughout the season. Maybe the Nets went one year quicker than expected, but look where it got them, to a point where they can now be the Kyrie Irving suitors. They can now be a Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Kawhi Leonard suitor, right? Or if, Kevin Durant. Or Kevin Durant. If the Knicks, They're still in that. If the Knicks just kick the tires and punt and say, we're just going to get another top eight pick, and with these lottery odds, who the hell know where this pick's going to end up? Is it going to be one? Is it going to be 14? Who the hell knows? But if I'm a Knicks fan, which I am, or if I am someone working for the Knicks, I think it is so important, if I'm David Fisdale, that this team learns how to try and win games night in, night out, because they haven't had that since Mello was still kind of mellow. You know what I mean? Like, they have been miserable for so many years that if they don't soon become a Kings or become a Nuggets uh, two years ago before they made the playoffs for the first time, where they are exciting, have an identity, and win and play close games, when Kevin Durant comes back, he's going to look around this roster and be like, these guys suck. They ain't ready to help me get there. And if that happens, then signing Kevin Durant becomes a mistake. And it's not that it's his fault or the Knicks' uh, decision to sign Kevin Durant's fault. It's what they built around him becomes their fault, if that makes sense. I don't know if Reddick's the right guy. I don't know. I don't know who it is right now. I got to really see how this draft turns I out. I got him for you. I got the, I got the right bet for him. Who is it? He's coming back for one more year. Okay. Vince Carter. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think he's staying in Atlanta. No, but I don't know that that even a guy like that is a little too old. I think did he, he did he say that? I think he, I don't know. He's come back for another year. I don't know where he's going. But I mean, he was on the he he was on the Kings. What was it last year? No, uh, two years ago. Well, last year was on the Hawks. Right, right yeah, and the Kings before that. Last year was on the Hawks. Then he was on the Kings. Before, look what happened to the Kings. I know, and look what happened to the Hawks in the second half of the year, dude. And he was playing real minutes for them. But uh, even a Danilo Gallinari, a guy who can score 16, 18, 20 points if he's hot, like a guy like that who's going to come out there and say, I'm not here to fucking lose. Like you said before about Zion Williamson. No, you, you don't want those balls. guys because that builds, that builds tension. You don't want the I don't want to lose guy. You want the I'm here to – Get my money and teach some kids. Guys. No, you want, I disagree. Like, you, dude. you want like Jawan Howard. You want like Vince Carter. But then they're gonna suck. They're not gonna be in the moments. They're not gonna be in the close games. They need guys to help them get close. Danilo Gallinari is probably too good. He's actually too good for what I'm saying. But yeah, that's I. That's what I was getting at. That's fair. That's fair. Bojan Bogdanovic's. You know, like people like that who are gonna come out and say like, "Yo, we're here to play." as a team and win games. We're not here to tank. They need that in their life or unless or else, sorry, or else when Kevin Durant comes back, he will literally look around this team and say, "This team sucks. Why did I come here?" And losing becomes a habit. Losing's a habit. It's true. I don't know. All right. All right. Let's wrap on that. Let's poor wrap. Knicks. Let's wrap. Um poor Knicks. Sheesh. We have so much stuff in the NBA. It's fantastic stuff as Biggest always. Biggest losers from the NBA finals, the Knicks. <laughs> it's so true. It sucks. 
It's so true. All right. That's your last words. I'm not even going to ask you. Your last words, biggest loser of the finals are the Knicks. Stay tuned for an SBNY podcast on on Thursday morning. Sorry, we're going to record it Wednesday night, Thursday in the morning. It'll be up. A full NBA draft breakdown. Talking about all the prospects you need to know about right here on the SBNY podcast. But for now, thank you for listening and have a great day.